Welcome to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mae. This is the monthly show focused on building conversations around the team-based model approach to athletic performance, strength and conditioning, sports medicine, sports science, mental health and wellness, and sports nutrition. Hello and welcome back to the Team Behind the Team podcast. I'm your host, Donnie Mabe, and we are into our next month episode, and Coach Mike Hansen is in the house. Coach Mike, what's going on today, baby? Yeah, I'm excited to be back. Um, our guest, our third one that we just we just talked about from Australia, so that's always exciting, hence why we're right. back on Zoom. Um, but are you excited for the school year to start? It's right around the corner. You ready? I am. It's uh, it's been today. We're already starting to feel the the craziness of of uh, kids coming back, but I'm ready. The summer has flown by, but I'm ready. But excited to to do this podcast today with our guests. So cool. I'll jump in and introduce our guests real quick. Kind of a little context. Kind of give the give the listeners a little hint. But our guest today comes from Australia. She's currently in New Zealand. I had the distinct honor of meeting our guest i think it was 2017 i had the was able to go out to the the asca the australian strength coaches association their national international conference which was a dream come true for me and i met coach nikolai morris there who's our guest today coach nick what's going on over there in new zealand not much thanks guys so much for having me on yeah you do you holding up in this this uh covid era you you making it through coach yeah, we're really lucky over here. We haven't had a case of COVID in a couple of months, so we're we're living it up. Things yeah, we, are pretty normal here. I think the U.S. we could learn a little something from you. Guys. <laughs> we can't but, say uh, the same. Yeah. Although your vaccination rates are killing ours, so right, hopefully right, we can get right. ours as well. Everybody calls you Nick. You said so. Just Nick, thank you so much for being on again. From when I met you out there, just. I don't know, just came off, you know, the, the brief time that I got to talk to you and meet you. You're just super professional, very approachable and friendly and just was, I feel like you, people are just drawn to you. I know you're kind of an outgoing person, but uh, I think that's a big piece of what we do in our profession. And you definitely, you've got that down. So it was great to meet you. Great. Thank you for being on the show. We look forward to this uh, kind of interview today. So good stuff. Uh, one quick fun question uh, before we get into the the deal. So you guys are doing pretty good, huh? In in medals over there in Australia, right? New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah, really good. Both Australia and New Zealand, I think, are having some of their best Olympics ever. Now, I know we're going to get into the show, but you guys got some high pressure on you, right? Correct me if I'm different colleagues I've talked to, right? You guys get a lot of pressure to do well over there, correct? Yeah, I think this Olympics has been a little bit different. Um, usually, I think COVID maybe helped with that. Usually the media are pretty brutal, um, silvers are, are not acceptable in certain sports like swimming in Australia, but um, this time they they haven't put the pressure of uh, how many medals we need to achieve, and they've taken the pressure off hammering some of our best athletes, and it, it's working. We're, we're performing. Yeah. Hey, that's a point. I know that's we're off script a little bit here, but uh, we, <laughs> we've had this topic throughout. I've been coaching a long time too, but when you don't have pressure on, Everybody just seems to do better, you know. And but if you, the pressure hits, it's like everybody tightens up, and you don't get that, you know, you don't reach that level. But anyway, that's a that's another episode. Sometime we we'll have to get you back. <laughs> sure. But uh, hey, first question, we'll get you rolling here. 
kind of what sparked your interest in becoming a performance coach? Kind of maybe give us a little bit of uh, your history and kind of where you're at. Give us, kind of lead us into that. Yeah, so when I was younger, I, I was a swimmer and I, I loved sport and I loved movement. Um, I was that weird kid who would watch movies or watch everyone else and just assess their movement, um, which I don't think is normal for like a 12, 13-year-old girl just staring intently at people, how they move. Um, and being a swimmer, I thought I loved coaching and I loved kind of taking the younger swimmers under my wing and teaching them certain things. So I thought maybe swimming coaching was where I'd end up, but it wasn't super interesting. And I liked movement in general, not just movement in the pool. So when I was about 14, I was introduced by a classmate of mine to strength and conditioning. Um, and being a female, it wasn't it wasn't an industry I'd really ever heard of or was aware of because we didn't have it in any of our schools. So I was at a private company and I trained out of them and I was really lucky uh, after I finished school to be able to get an internship with them and start basically when I started university and start working as an SNC from then on. And I just loved it. I loved being able to work with people, being able to coach um, being able to coach people who weren't with their heads under the water 90% of the time so I could actually have a chat as well, which which is always good. Um, and just, yeah, keep on that um, obsession with, with watching movement and assessing movement, I guess. That's awesome. Hey, um, speaking of, like, your passion and movement, because you, you highlighted that a few times, how is that reflected um, kind of in your training program and your training philosophy? How do you go about integrating movement within your programs? Yeah, I think, um, and it, it does depend on the sport where the movements are kind of focused, but if we can move well as a whole, it's going to lend itself to being able to get stronger, to be able to get faster, to be able to get more powerful. So it, it just limit. It doesn't limit that ceiling we put on people by trying to progress them too quickly. So being able to move well in a variety of different ways in all planes of movement, I think, yeah, really essential for all athletes to to discover and especially those who are just starting in the gym um, on the field. So I think it's an area that, that we, um, yeah, that I really like to focus on. Yeah. And we had talked right before this um, again, you, you just highlighted your experience as a swimmer um, and, and you've worked with rowing before, which we'll touch on again later on. Um, but those are two sports that I work with as well. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm kind of like you in that philosophy and that, like if you can increase, you know, if you want to call it kinesthetic awareness or even like you could call it, I guess, you know, your, your proprioceptive system, your vestibular system. Like if you can get those things going, it just feels like it does translate to an extent into the pool or under the water. Um, is that kind of how you see it, too? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the one of the athletes I currently work with, um, who I'm so lucky to work with, she's over in Tokyo competing at the moment. And. Uh, she's a high jumper so she's an absolute specialist at what she does but she wasn't she was a great mover in in the high jump area but needed a lot of work with movement in all other areas so since we started working on her overall movement not just her specific movement she's come so far and yeah she's she's hopefully a really good shot uh for for a medal uh, on saturday on Saturday. So it's happening right now. That's awesome. Yeah, what's, she's, what's, she's what's, her, first. what's her name again? I saw that post you. I thought that was, I was kind of, I was creeping on her a little bit. She looks like a stud. Yeah. yeah Nicola McDermott. 
So she's uh, an Australian high jumper and she's she's amazing. She's been with her coach since she was 10 years old and equaled or PB'd every single year since she was 10, which I don't think many elite athletes can say. Um, and, yeah, she's just the most lovely person you'll ever meet. She's great. Yeah, she's, uh, she's fairly young too, right? 24, yeah. Yeah, that's why I, I, I couldn't believe it. Read, saw your post, kind of looked looked her up, and just saw some of the her jumps, and just she looks so young to be jumping that high. Anyway, kudos to you. Yeah. Hopefully, we can push her on to uh, eleven more years of Olympics and get her to Brisbane in twenty thirty two. I'm not sure how she'll feel about that. Holy smokes! <laughs> Got to play. Um, so I've also heard through the grapevine um, that you implement gymnastics quite frequently with a variety of sports. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I love using gymnastics. It's yeah, yeah. Could you speak to that? Like, what are some yeah. ways that you've used gymnastics? Um, whether that be maybe the entire training session, whether it be a warm up, cool down. Like, what have you done? Is it tumbling? What does it look like? Um, it varies uh, sport to sport. So, for example, uh, with sports like rugby and contact sports, where you can end up in any position, um, and especially with female athletes that maybe aren't as used to contact um, being in those positions can become really dangerous if you don't know where you are in space. So we do a lot of tumbling work with them um, with my swimmers and water polo athletes. We did a lot of work on hanging and handstands, um, a lot of work through the shoulder. Um, and as I spoke to before being a swimmer, doing that work myself has been the only way my shoulder was pain free in 15 years. So I think uh, it's an area that's it's really cool. Um, and, yeah, it just – I use it in warm-ups to keep it exciting. Sometimes if you're with the same team, years on end, uh, they get a little bit sick of you. So changing it up and getting them to explore movement, again, can only be a good thing in my mind. Yeah, yeah that's, I just think that's so cool. I've heard of so many different um, pros to, to using gymnastics. Again, like it, whether it be a warm-up or – you know, kind of in the meat of your training session. I've heard like, I've heard coaches use like hanging as a way to stimulate your nervous system. Um, like, like we spoke to, or I spoke to earlier is like, I've, I've seen coaches use tumbling for your vestibular system. And then kind of like you're saying, just that kinesthetic awareness. Um, I just think it's really cool. And kind of like you're saying, you said it's a cool area. I, just, I think that might be an untapped area, uh, largely speaking. So I just, that's a really cool thing that, uh, that you utilize. Yeah. I, I had a question. So uh, Nick, could you, Give us like a, just give us an example of how you would integrate that with a sport or a team and then how often would you use it and what part of the workout? Give us an, an example. <laughs> All right. So I work with a female rugby team. And like I said before, most of them were quite new to the contact area. So we used a combination of tumbling and grappling style work. And we trained in the gym twice a week and one session a week. Uh, the end of the session was purely developed, uh, was purely um, designed to develop um, basically motor control and, and, and a spatial awareness and be fun. It's exploration of movement 101. So we went from doing things like headstands, learning how to do that, into handstands, into tumbling like forward rolls. We got the crash mat out and we were doing dive rolls. Um, we were doing flips and basically allowing them to be more and more aware of where they are. So if they get flipped in a tackle, they're not going to be breaking the neck. It's just going to be a lot safer for them. And also it brought a lot of fun. Um, we added games in there as well. And 
it just allowed them to bring so much joy into their training, which is really hard, especially for a team that trains till like 9, 9.30 at night the night before and has to be mm. in the gym at 6 a.m. the next day. Like not many people want to be up at 6 a.m. the next day before a full day of work. So it just allowed um, us to really bond as a group. It allowed us to have a lot of fun and it really um, improved uh, attendance because it wasn't a compulsory session either. It was completely optional. So we got we were getting up to getting between 12 and 20 most most days for a squad of rugby. So that was pretty cool. That yeah, that makes, that, that makes me think of, um, so over here in the States, what's the popular sport is American football. Um, and so I talk, you know, whether it's coaches or honestly, even my friends all the time, because I grew up playing football is, there's, I don't have the research behind it. There's definitely something to know, knowing how to take a hit, knowing how to go to the ground, knowing how to absorb contact in those collision sports like rugby or ice hockey. Um, so I, I like, I guess I just wanted to add that there's definitely something to that and learning that skill. Um, cause there's that debate in American football is like, when should, you know, kids start these collision sports and you know, pros and cons of course, but hopefully you like to think in a good system, um, they have the opportunity where they can learn how to absorb contact before you put them there when they're able to all of a sudden, you know, run 15 miles per hour and then kind of run head to head. Cause then you're gonna run into issues if they don't know how to produce and absorb contact. Yeah. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have ever had a, an ex gymnast join whatever sport, but like I've had a few times where I've been lucky enough to have an ex gymnast who's changed sports. So one was in rug, women's rugby and she just moved better than everyone else. She was stronger. She was she was our halfback, so usually the smallest player on the field. And she was lifting with the biggest players. She could still, after retiring from gymnastics, probably 15 years earlier, maybe longer, she could still flip. She could still move. And you can just see those skills, how much robustness they have in those athletes. Yeah, no, we've, awesome. yeah, we've had uh... – you made me think, Coach. We we've had some interns. I know one year a friend of mine, Jason Kwan, he was an ex, like very competitive gymnast gymnast when he was younger. And so we I've definitely we've done some tumbling before. So I've definitely seen there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of benefits from doing tumbling. And um I, I've seen, you know, I've seen it with some sports, definitely swimming before, some of the gymnastic, more ISO holds, different positions. And kids just kids, but like you said, it's body control is just so, uh, so needed. I remember even I'm dating myself a little bit here, uh, but I, I played football at Georgia and Herschel Walker back then was back in the eighties, uh, Mike and Nick, he was taking ballet and dance, which back then was a little edgy, you know, because people just didn't understand like, wait, that's football. Like right. what's the big tough guy taking dance? Right. But he was ahead of, like, he was already so strong that he needed to explore, like you said, kind of develop his movement and finesse skills more. And he just thought outside. He was just very innovative in his thought and approach to performance, but even back then. So it's cool to hear you. It's all coming back around full circle. So, yeah, it's that stuff like transfers to multiple sports. So, Valerie Allman, someone who's been training at the University of Texas, she just won the gold in the discus. And I believe she came up as a ballet dancer before she was a discus thrower. Um, which probably played a big role in, you know, how well she can control her body. I know it's popular with, you know, hockey goalies and, you know, so there's, there's definitely a component that transfers over to all these sports where there is a lot of movement. 
It's good. Well, I can imagine a discus with all the spinning. Like she just has so much better awareness than everyone else of where she is. Right. She's so right. No energy when yeah when she's producing all that torque. So smooth, yeah, and great, very grace, graceful too. Um, all right, I got a, I got a little change of topic here for you, Nick. Uh, this, this is uh, one of my passions too. Can't wait to hear. Um, so, just kind of looking at your resume and experience and education, you do have a background in multiple practices and modalities. I saw you've got a little bit in athletic training, um, massage, and Pilates. Now, question, how has that experience in, in dealing with some of that in those areas influenced your lens to prescribing performance and developing athletes? I think um, the biggest thing is it allows you to have uh, a greater understanding of all the areas you commonly work with. So it allows you to understand what the, the physio or the Pilates instructor want out of their athletes. So you can collaborate in a greater um, sense of a deeper understanding with what they they need from you and how you can link in with them. Um, again, it, it comes back to being able to have more tools, like it allowed me to have more tools in my toolbox. Um, it allows me to work in teams really effectively. Sometimes uh, we don't have a great um, amount of resources. So I went away with a team two years ago to a, a really cool um, it's technically a, an International Olympic Committee event called the World Beach Games, working with a team called a uh, team of Australian beach handballers, which is a really cool sport if you haven't seen it. And they, I got taken as a manager, as the SNC, as the massage therapist, as the the second physio. As we only had two staff, the head coach who was also a physio. So if anything really went wrong, it would go to him. And, and myself. So you get to play a number of different roles and it just allows you to be um, a little bit more uh, over all those different areas if you do get called upon to, to do yeah. things. So, hey, that, that's got, you just got me fired up right there when you, you just listed all those roles you played. Because I just think, um, I think, Definitely, I think Mike would maybe agree, maybe not. But over in Amer over in America, we have everybody has like their. I'm just a strength coach, or I'm just a trainer, or I'm just a. You know, everybody's got their their little hat on of what they do, and I think sometimes there can be some some silo kind of friction there. Of well, that's not your area, you know. But I, I just feel like where we're headed in sport in performance, you've got to be. We were. I was talking to somebody about this. So you've got to be not a specialist, but you got to be a generalist to keep moving. You got. You got to know a lot about. You got to know a little bit of a lot. A lot of different areas. And I mean, so question for you on that. What you just said. Have you ever ran into where somebody was a little bit territorial? Like, hey, you stay. You're a strength coach. You ever got any of that before? I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but have you had to deal with that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Very much so. Um, it's. The word stay in your lane gets thrown around a lot, um, I think, working in sport. Um, and I uh, people take that, that phrase in many different ways. I don't enjoy it. I think it should be stay within your scope of practice. The lines like are going to be blurred. The lines are going to be blurred no matter what. If you're rehabbing an athlete, you're working with, especially in the elite level, you're working with a multitude of people who are trying to get this person back, the athlete back to their above where they were previously. 
So at the start, the medical team, so the physio, the doctor, are going to have the most say in what's needed. And as it comes through the continuum, the SNC is probably going to, and the head coach are going to have more and more of a say. Um, you're linking in with the dietitian, the psychologist, et cetera, all the way through. And if you're working in a silo, the athlete's not going to be back to performance, not at all. So you really need to have those blurred lines. You stay with them what you are actually qualified to do. Try. I'm an SNC. I should never try and be an actual physio unless you're on a team and you have to be. Right. Um, like I'm never going to diagnose an injury. That's not my area. But at the same time, you need to understand the injury. You need to understand the rates of healing, all of all of the stuff embedded in there and be able to work with those other collaborators and support staff to get them back. And, yeah, it's just about um, being on that continuum where you sit and how you can help. Yeah, I know just even hearing you talk, one of the – it's been with COVID, there's definitely been challenges, but I've had to wear more hats because I've got a little background in massage. I'm not like a – I don't have my own practice and have my own own building and all that, but um, massage changed my life. You know, I had a lot of back problems coming out of college. I'm just being banged up. And so I had to figure out, uh, not only for me, but for my athletes, like there's got to be a different lens and a way to, to understand the body of how it responds to, to, uh, to stress. Right. Cause at the end of the day, you're trying to get kids to adapt. And if, if certain stressors are making them worse, it's what's the ways around that you can, can use different, um, training implements or devices in addition to some soft tissue things or corrective exercises that's going to help kind of build them and move them along and be better. So, I mean, little things like fascial lines and how tissue responds to overtraining and looking at asymmetries and how can you fix that and manage that better. I've learned, I've learned more from probably massage and studying and being around that group of people that have most strength coaches. So it's cool. That's so awesome. You do that. So good stuff. I love I love your response then because I think it shows um, to take the ego out of it, right? right? We as strength coaches sometimes get in our own little world and think we're we know everything and we're the best at everything, and we don't look at where other practitioners, even if they aren't the norm, even though massage basically is, but um, if they aren't the the normal way of doing things, looking at their experiences and background, like uh, when you massage your hands are on the other person and you can feel what their body is doing. You can feel what the muscle is doing and it just gives you a different insight. And I think that's really cool that you, um, you looked into all of that and you learned from, from others that shows, yeah, how awesome you are, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, like to hear stay in your lane. Um, like if that were the case, right. If we were to, you know, quote unquote, stay in our lane, then that means I would try to solve every problem as a strength and conditioning coach with trying to build strength or trying to build power and speed. Right. Whereas a lot of times that's just not like, not every problem needs to be solved that way. Sometimes you need to go to the dietitian. Sometimes it's a sports psychologist. Like, and so say here, stay in your lane. Like, I think of course we, we need to learn to collaborate with the experts, as you were saying, you know, who, you know, if it, if it is the athletic trainer in sport med, of course, they're going to be the one to diagnose the injury, but we should have at least some scope of understanding because there is crossover when it comes to performance, we're all just kind of pieces to a bigger puzzle. Absolutely. Stop. So yeah, so so Donnie's referencing that diverse background. Um, 
where also like not only may you be in multiple lanes, have experience in multiple lanes, but you've also worked with a variety of sports um, and they're contrasting sports with regards to demand. So you have track and field and swimming, which are way different, you know, field hockey and rowing are completely different demands with regards to their sports. So with that, where in your programs, um, whether it's in the past or the present, where are there um, maybe some major similarities? And then where are there their differences within programming for those different sports with different demands? Yeah, so so the main similarities, um, at least in my, my philosophy, is treat the person first. So you may get a track and field athlete that's completely different to all other track and field athletes and how they respond, and you may need to treat them like a rower, which is really weird, but it just you've got to treat them as as what they're in front of you and how they respond first. Um, and at the end of the day, like I spoke about first, uh, if they move well, then we can start going on to more specific sport um, areas we need to fix and challenge. But if they move poorly, we got to we got to nail that on the head first. And um, all sports, an increase of strength is going to be a benefit up to a certain ceiling. Um, and most of the athletes I've worked with haven't hit that ceiling. There's not many who do, uh, at least in my experience. Probably a few more in America. Um, the lifting culture is still a lot stronger. Um, and then working, uh, yeah, working on where we can progress them, which is where the, the differences start to come on, which is when we start looking at the needs analysis of each sport. So in swimming, being able to hold posture in the water, um, if you've got, even in swimming, it's completely different, stroke to stroke, distance, sprint. So sprinters, Sure. You may actually train them a lot more like like a runner. You're doing a lot more plyometric work because the dive is so important. You're doing a lot more power-based and strength-based work, um, whereas this distance athlete needs to be like a cork in the water and any excess muscle mass can actually have problems further down the track when it comes to their fluidity and their ability um, to, to not feel that denseness that sometimes the muscle mass can bring and it's – it's a weird one. Um, so let's talk about the feel of the super weird. <laughs> the weirdest one, probably. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but if if it affects their their feel of the water or they feel a little bit fatigued from it, you can really put off some distance swimmers. So they're a, they're a touchy one. Um, rowing is, in my eyes, one of the very strength based sports. We we've got to do a lot to get them strong and powerful and be able to have that strength endurance as well. So you've got to be powerful out of the start. You've got to be able to hold that strength endurance for two kilometers. Um, some of the most hardworking, ridiculous athletes uh, in the world, yeah. rowers. but they, they also, um, in my experience with rowers compared to your team sports and your land sports in general, they don't need variety. They don't really want variety too much. They're happy doing the same thing over and over to an extent. Um, so that that tends to be um, really important. And then you've got to look at as well between sport to sport what the injury risks are. So swimming, you're going to have shoulders. Pretty much every swimmer has a shoulder issue. Uh, with your rowers, you're going to have ribs and back. With hockey, field hockey, sorry, you're probably going to have backs and hamstrings. Uh, with athletics, you're looking at stress injuries and hamstrings are the most common. So looking at those injuries and how to um, do our best to to manage um, and, where possible, 
reduce any risk of injury that we can have. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up rowing. Um, it's like, I've always kind of viewed those cyclical sports, the repetitive sports, like cross country rowing, um, even swimming to an extent of, you know, at the end of the day, there's only so much movement demands. It's not like a softball or a lacrosse where there's, you know, it's an open skilled sport where kind of anything can happen. You have to prepare them for that. Um, so you can kind of break down the movement. And like you said, when we're, um, how we do it here at Texas in season with rowing, it's essentially the same movement for almost an entire semester that we do. Um, it's just different varieties of it within the movement itself, right? So I'm switching from a back squat to a front squat or, you know, a dumbbell split squat to maybe a contralateral split squat. Um, so I'm glad you brought that up. But then another thing is you were talking about swimming. Um, and as someone who has competed as a competitive swimmer, I think that's a pretty rare thing, at least in my experiences, to meet a strength coach or performance coach um, who does that um, or who was a competitive swimmer. So I'm curious um, for you, because there are a lot of strength coaches out there who have never competitively swam, me being one of them. Um, what would be some advice or considerations that you would share with strength coaches um, or other professionals who've never swam competitively? What would you tell them that would maybe hopefully bridge the gap a little bit between actually feeling the water versus kind of just being in the weight room? Firstly, um, we're weird. That's, that's normal. <laughs> um, you're going to be working with a weird sport. Like, like every sport, it has their own language. Get to know the language. Go spend some time with the head coach. Um, depending on who you've got, you'll, you could have an old school or a new school style of coach. But like any sport, if you lose the coach, you're going to have problems. So chat to the coach, see what's key for them. Um, the last coach I worked with uh, was was really great and really open to learning. He wanted to um, – he, he had a very strong – the sprinters, could, they all lifted, but as soon as comp came in, the distance swimmers had to really back off and it worked for them as well. So get to know um, – the language, like feel of the water, it is a thing. Some pools have fast water, some have slow. Uh, it feels heavy or light. It. I don't know how to better understand it. It's. It's just. It's just a thing. It, yeah. It's real to us. I've heard that um, before. Yeah. <laughs> but understand the the fact that it doesn't respond like a land sport typically how you move in water is not the same as under gravity. So understanding that is probably the biggest key. Um, the main improvements that we can have for swimming in SNC is decreasing injury risk uh, of the world and shoulders. Um, Mike, we were talking earlier about how swimmers tend to injure themselves, not in the pool. They tend to injure themselves like walking, yeah. uh, which <laughs> There's a really funny article, which I still can't find. I think it may have been taken down, but it was a swim swim article on Ryan Lochte. And it talked about, I think, about 10 injuries he had from things like dislocating knees, breakdancing, or yeah. grabbing a phone out of the back seat and hurting himself. Like they're the kind of injuries swimmers do. Yeah, It's just a thing. Um, so protecting them from the world is, is one. And their shoulders. Uh, so injury prevention is probably the number one. Second is the main gains you can make is in their body control and off the dive and turns. So jump, especially in your sprinters, um, the dive and the turns, 
make up a fair amount of the the race. And if you can make effect on that, you're going to have a really, really good go at it. So they're the main things I would look at. Yeah, that kind of, I mean, that piggybacks the same thing I've read from Franz Bosch, where, you know, he has a whole book on specificity and transfer of training. And the one thing he always ends with, which is frustrating as a swim strength coach, because you want to make as big of a difference as you can, is at the end of the day, the stimulus of swimming against water resistance is just almost like you're like, you can't replicate that on land or especially in a weight room, um, no matter how hard you try. So um, that's where you're kind of limited and probably what we were referencing together earlier about, it's just a weird sport that, you know, you can affect certain things that you pointed out and I appreciate that, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not like a land sport. So. Yeah. Shouldn't be treated in such. And uh, a big thing for anyone who's never worked in swimming, like you said, Definitely don't try and replicate the movement yeah. in the gym. It doesn't work. It will, it all, if anything, it'll, it'll affect their stroke and make it worse. So, yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of that from what I've seen going on in dry land is a lot of people trying to replicate. But like you said, sometimes that can affect the neuromuscular component of what's happening and so on and so forth. Good stuff. I'll, I'll uh, go change gears on both of you here just for a second. Another just uh, hot topic here. So, Nick, you are a successful female strength and conditioning coach for sure uh, in this profession. Can you share what have you done that has helped you progress and move up in your career as a female? What what have you done? I think the biggest thing is um, I don't know if it's pride, ego, or just perseverance. Um, There are times where I probably, if I was – less of any of those things. Um, I probably would have uh, left the industry that, and also I loved it. Um, But I just, I loved it and I wanted to keep going. And I was very lucky to come from a background that allowed me to put a lot of hours in unpaid, a lot of um, time and effort where some, some people from different socioeconomic backgrounds may not have been able to do what I was able to do. Um, cause I was earning almost no money for a very long time. So I was very lucky to be supported by my family, but I, I never thought I couldn't. It, I think I was about five years in the industry before that even kind of entered my head, but I always thought I was onto something. I thought that I had something to give and that, it, that it would be worthwhile. Um, and I was very lucky to have um, gotten my break completely different from most people where it didn't come from anyone I knew. Uh, My first full-time job, I didn't know anyone on the interview panel. I didn't know anyone related to the job. Um, And I was very lucky to have had the skills, which was rugby and swimming, that they wanted. But, yeah, I think the main thing for, for young coaches, female coaches, is don't listen to anyone who tells you you can't females a coach is a coach female or male you don't you don't have to be male to be a coach your gender doesn't make you a better coach um and just because there is more male doesn't mean that men are better at coaching we're we're all people um a coach is a coach so the main thing is just just keep working on it um and I say all young coaches now, it's a really hard industry to break into. So 
find a good mentor. I didn't have a good mentor at the start. I made a lot of mistakes. Um, I was uh, what I would call the peak of stupidity on the Dunning-Kruger curve. Um, I was way up. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was really good. Um, I thought I knew all this stuff, and I didn't. I was terrible. And um, that brought me down to earth and was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because I put myself back in that learning um, mindset and became open to learning from others, became open to not thinking that I knew everything and allowed me to to become a better coach and allowed me to have the opportunities I have. And then, um, yeah, having mentors throughout that also um, didn't think that I couldn't because I was female really helped as well. And they gave me uh, every opportunity and, and opened doors for me as well and, and gave me the the confidence and also um, skills to, to progress. You, you guys have, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it, is it women in sport? You have a, a group of female strength coaches there that you got, you're, you're helping kind of with that lead some of that. Can you, can you just share what that's all about? Like I, I'm, this really intrigued me when I heard about, I would love to hear more, share with the, the listeners. Yeah. So um, we're lucky in the ASCA to have a women's advisory committee, which um, has progressed so much in the last couple of years. They've done such a great job um, and is really promoting, uh, aiming to promote and give opportunities to female coaches. Um, a couple of my friends and I decided at one point that we wanted to progress that a little further on a less um, a less uh, professional area, a lot more casual, a lot more um, chats, basically. And we started Women in Sport, which essentially started off as just an Instagram page that still we probably don't put enough effort into. Um, but during COVID, a couple of the girls that I had um, helped out and who were young coaches that I, I chatted with often wanted to catch up. And I was like, why don't we just open it up? Why let's let's make it like everyone's in lockdown. No one's enjoying selves at the moment. Let's really make a, a proper um, forum. So we started the Women in Sport Forums, um, which is just a Zoom call and it's completely open to everyone. It's completely free and it's completely informal. So it's usually once a month. I've been a little slacker recently with the Olympics, um, but we try and keep it at once a month. That's so cool. Where, yeah. <laughs> where we, yeah, just anyone comes. We do, we've had a couple of Americans, even though it's usually an awful time zone. Uh, shout out to Dee, who usually wakes up at 1 a.m. to join us, which is ridiculous because awesome. just not something I would do. Um, and we have people who have come from Europe, a lot from Australia and New Zealand, and it just allows people to have a really safe space, a really open space, to chat about any issues, about any challenges, to share any accomplishments, to be proud. Um, sometimes we go on random tangents about nothing to do with sport. Sometimes we have people in to present. We've had people in. Um, we've had Chris Spinks talking to us about emotional intelligence. We've had people in the group present on different areas they're fascinated about to get more confident and comfortable in their presenting experience. So it just it's just a really nice group and everyone in it is awesome. And it's just a really cool way to network when there's not a natural network for most female coaches. 
That's all. Yeah, I'm. Uh, that I didn't know that it had progressed that far. That is so cool. You guys got to keep building that. That's so important. Yeah, we've got to. Anyone who has any uh, ideas on how to progress it, we love it. Where again, it's, it's not a. There's no dictatorship. It's completely. Everyone has their own say. That's awesome. Um, we're getting kind of near the end, but I got a, maybe one or two more questions. I noticed you got your degree from Edith Cowan, right? Was that yeah, correct? Yeah, your master. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely, that seems like a just a phenomenal um, university. I know we interviewed Daniel Martinez, who's down the street here. He got his master's from there as well. Uh, Coach Doc Sof, I've, you know, I don't know her at all. I'm sure you probably know her. Would love to, to have her at some point on, but um, just man, it seems like a great institution. So with that, I think. Your educational background seems very high level. Who has been you? I think you mentioned uh, in one of your, one of your podcasts. Was it Grant Jenkins? Is that correct? Has been a mentor for you. Any other mentors that's really influenced kind of your your career thought process? Who you are as a coach? Anybody comes to mind? Yeah, probably the biggest um, over the last six years has been Chris Spinks. Um, is actually not technically coaching as an SNC anymore, but. He uh, is working in the leadership and coach development space, um, but he has helped me so much. Um, he teaches both business professionals and um, people involved in sport on emotional intelligence and has just really helped me so much develop myself, uh, not just as a coach. And I just can't speak more highly of him. Um, and over in New Zealand, I've had some some really great people to work with and work around. Um, all the coaches who I was involved with at, at Rowing New Zealand were unbelievable. They're, some of the New Zealand SNCs are people who are so humble, have very little presence because they don't want it, they don't need it, um, but they just get on with their job and they're just so good at what they do. Um, and then... We have uh, the two that I have been with um, who have been helping me so much in the last year, Emily Nolan and, and Scott Logan, who Scott's the uh, men's black sticks hockey SNC and has been for about 10 years. And M Nolan is uh, working in the professional basketball with the breakers. And both of them have really helped me in the last year. And yeah, great, great people. Yeah, that's the one thing I definitely, being over there, just you guys are so supportive of each other you know i think a little bit of a rant here mike and i ran on this but i feel like sometimes snc coaches we like critical and tear each other down whereas i didn't i don't maybe y'all do that some there but i didn't pick up on that culturally when i was there i felt like you guys are pretty supportive and like trying to help each other advance and grow so anyway that's a that's a cool thing what you what you mike we need to get you over there to the rowing uh, we need to get you on that flight, Mike. Yeah, no doubt. I'm in. You just let me know when. That's good stuff. Um, okay, some fun questions. Okay, I want to have some. I got some fun ones for you. What do you like to do in your spare time? What are your hobbies, Coach? <laughs> um, I'm pretty low key. I love the usual things like the beach and hanging out with friends and watching TV. Like. Uh, big TV fan. Netflix is, is dangerous for me. Um, but I also love continuing my sport. Um, I've been learning pole vault for the last probably oh, wow. eight months. Um, That's amazing. 
That's so fun. It's, that's the one you wanted to learn. You wanted to pick up. Not me. That's <laughs> crazy. Oh, I don't no, very so well cool. anymore. I have such a great coach, Nick Southgate, who was a New Zealand um, pole vault champion. He's he's a brilliant coach, really young, really um, really knowledgeable in what he's doing, and it, it's just such a fun sport. Like. It's just really cool feeling like you're flying, even though I'm barely jumping anything. Um, as a, My high jumper can basically jump the same height as me and I've got a pole, so that's slightly concerning. But I'm, yeah, looking forward to progressing with it and picking a sport that not everyone does, which is enjoyable. And then, yeah, I still I still swim and run for Masters, uh, masters levels, which is great fun. I love still competing. Um, it allows you to still have that empathy and understanding of what the athletes go through so yeah that i'm pretty low-key they're the main ones mike all that means that's code for don't make her mad that's really what that means (laughs) (laughs) oh that is so cool though i've never heard of someone picking up pole vault like that would never enter my brain ever that's interesting my my training partner was started learning at 50 so i've got no excuse like and she's awesome like there's there's no excuse when I train with people who have picked it up uh, later in life, and I think that's the cool thing about doing masters sport. I've, I've had swimmers come to me and be like, "Oh yeah, I learned to swim. Like had never swum, learned to swim at 60, and now I'm swimming at nationals. Like it's just really cool." Yeah, for sure. A um, couple of years ago, I had always talked about it because I always thought it was such a cool field event in track and field, and that's the javelin. So I got to go out kind of you know in the back of our track, we're in our throwing pit. Um, went through a whole warm up, through a whole like couple drills, through a practice, and then it was like kind of your go time at the end. Like, how far can Mike throw it? And uh, I remember like feeling like I hit all the positions I was supposed to, and then like just absolutely letting loose, and I couldn't get it to spiral. So I didn't even know if it made it twenty meters. But kind of like you're saying, like it's <laughs> it gives you empathy because you're you're in it, and you're like, this is the most technical sport. When just on TV, sometimes we just take it for granted, thinking. Oh yeah, you just you know sprint as fast as you can and stick the pole in the ground and hop over. But typically, not the case for just about every sport. Yeah, and it's just it puts you in that learning learning mindset again. And I think as an SNC, it's really frustrating when you are relearning because you know what the movement should look like, you know the position you should be in, but your body doesn't do it. Right. It's humbling. It's it's good for us to probably go through that. <laughs> All right, coach. Best beach. In Australia, I don't want to get you in trouble here. Best, I went to Bondi, and I forget the. I went to a couple beaches out there, and uh, best beach. I know you got. I know you got at least one or two. I don't want to put you in a, in a bad spot over there, but we. I want to know. Oh, that's such a challenge. I love. Oh, I'm going to give you two because they're in different states. That that that's allowed. Um, I really love, even though it's not what I would call your beach beach, but I love your your Sunshine Coast beaches of like Noosa Coolum area. Depends on what you want. If you want to chill Noosa, if you want big waves, Coolum. Um, and then I do love, even though Bondi is a tourist place and there's always so many people on the beach, I do love it. I also love further along into like Bronte Beach. Um, that's pretty okay. cool too. Yeah. All of the East, I love the Eastern beaches. They're so pretty. They're so cool. Go there if you get to Sydney. All right. Uh, one more question. Best food in Australia? Jeez. That's so challenging. Oh, I don't even know. They got oh. the best food. 
They have. I've never had a flat white till I got to Australia, and I'm ruined. Like, like, are you about, like America's terrible now. Are you talking about like a type of food or like a like a place? Yeah, I mean, it could be, you know, meat, seafood. I don't. I I think they do a lot of. Um, I think you guys do meat a lot over there, from what I remember. Yeah. Um, it depends on what I'm in the mood. Of. New Zealand and Australia both have great food and great coffee. Um, recommend them for both. Uh, the meat is, I think, really great over in both. Um, but I also love the the Vietnamese and the Italian food in yeah. both as well. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I put on 20 pounds when I was out there, Nick. I couldn't stop eating food and drinking their flat whites anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do it. It's good. Right, right. Well, good stuff. Any, anything else to add, Coach Hanson or, or Nick? Anything you want to add before we wrap up here? No, I just appreciate Nick taking the time and, and making time halfway across the world, right. um, especially as you have athletes in the Olympics. Um, and as like any SNC, I know you have a busy schedule. So thanks for carving out time. I right. appreciate it. No, I thank you guys so much for coming on. And, and hopefully when COVID finally uh, is less prevalent, hopefully I can come over. I'd love to get over to Texas. It's one of my... Oh, that's what I was about to say. If there's any way we could ever get you to Austin, we would love to just have you in for however long we could get you to just hang out, train, go see our facility. We'll, we'll take you out. I think, yeah, I think Pike stayed for like a whole week when he came. He didn't want to leave. Yeah. I was like, dude, like <laughs> just move over here. So I would be on the next one. I would hundred percent do that. And yeah, same goes. If you're ever in the same, same town as me, I'll take you guys out. Oh man. I, my my Good wife was ready to move when we were out there, Nick. My wife's ready to move to Australia, so I was like, "Oh, pump the brakes, there, babe." So anyway, yes, I will come back. You. Right, right. Well, that's all I got, Coach Hanson. That's all you got, Nick. You've been awesome, aka Coach Nikolai Morris. So thank you so much. You're a rock star, and uh, appreciate you sharing your time and expertise with all our listeners on the team behind the team. This has been great. That's all we got. Hey, that's it from Austin, Texas. How do we say goodbye in Australia? Give us a little Australian uh, goodbye. Is it cheers? What is it? See you later. See you later. There it is. There it is from Coach Nick's mouth. That's how you say it. Hey, you guys have a great month. We'll catch you on the next episode on the team behind the team. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Team Behind the Team podcast. For future episodes, go to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. We definitely want to keep having great guests on the show and great content. So if you have a moment, please go to iTunes, leave a rating and review, and let us know how we're doing. I'm Donnie Mabe, and thanks so much for tuning in.